0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. We're going to do a little something different this week on Getting Hammered because Vic and I are both on vacation. So coming up is an interview I did for some reporting on a subject that's near and dear to my heart, which is resilient parenting. Many of you know my story, and you'll hear more about it in the interview. I've been through some crisis of my own while parenting, and I stumbled upon Dr. Erwin Sandler, who has been researching and working with bereaved families for 30 years and he's built a really effective program that coaches families in five building blocks of resilient parenting. This was applicable in my life, and I wish I had found it a little sooner. (laughs) Those five are, and he'll tell you more, self-care, strengthening family bonds, active listening to your kids, effective rules, and all of those culminate in supporting kids as they cope with crisis. Though I happen to go through actual bereavement, I think the lessons that Sandler teaches are applicable to parenting or persevering through a bunch of life's troubles. So I hope you enjoy his insights and some more about my story, about how I rebuilt my family after loss. It's a little more serious getting hammered, a very special getting hammered, but I think you guys will enjoy it. So we will see you back here when we're back in person. Welcome, everybody. I am delighted to have with me Dr. Erwin Sandler. He's a research professor at Arizona State University and a co-developer of programs to promote resilience in families following bereavement and divorce, including the Resilient Parenting for Bereaved Families program. Welcome, Dr. Sandler. How are you?
1: Thank you, Mary Catherine. I'm fine. I'm great. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you.
0: Well, I know like most of my listeners have a, a pretty good idea of my own personal experience that then led me to find your research. Unfortunately, I didn't find it while I was in the thick of things, but I lost my husband in a bike crash when I was seven months pregnant and had a two-year-old wow. at home. Wow. So That's a I, lot. Yes. So that was 2015. And I came across your research in writing at the beginning of the pandemic, sort of attempting to advise parents on what crisis parenting might look like for them. And when I came across you, I, I believe maybe I found you through Cheryl Sandberg in her writing on this, loved the idea of your program. Can you tell me a little bit about, and especially the fact that you focus on resilient parenting, which is something I'm very interested in for people, especially this year coming out of a pandemic yeah. year. Tell me how you got into this work.
1: That's a, that's a great question. It goes back a long time. I've been doing this work with bereaved families, parentally bereaved families, for close to 30 years. And we're in a very different place than when we started, although the core concept is the same. The core concept is that, is to build resilience of families working through both the parent or the caregiver, because they're not all biological parents, and the children, but building on their strengths and building their capacity not only to work through their grief, but also, and this is where I love your term of rebuilding, because I think that's a big part of what they face, is how do I rebuild my life? How do I rebuild, and for a parent, how do I rebuild my family, right? given that it's changed? And as you say, and as Cheryl Sandberg says, it's changed in a moment. And that's a that's a monumental task. And I think parents and caregivers don't give themselves enough credit for what I think of the kind of the heroic task that nobody volunteers for, nobody wants to do, but you're faced with it and you do it. And so the concept of rebuilding a family that can be healthy, can be nurturing for your children and for yourself, that's the task. And it ain't easy, as as you well know. And as a researcher and as a professional, as a psychologist, the furthest thing I would want to say is that it's easy. But in any case, we started out many years ago with a, a home a home visiting program for bereaved families. It was called Family Bereavement Program. And that was very, very labor intensive. And you had to go into people's homes, and be invited into their homes. So we moved from that into a group program that is done in bereavement agencies. And that was immensely successful most of the research that you've read on the outcomes from that program, which was evaluated using you know the gold standard of research the kinds of what they call randomized trials that now we're looking at for covid vaccinations have demonstrated remarkable effects and it's a testament to the parents and the kids who are in it and these effects lasted over 15 years Wow. And, so you and, think about it, it's 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 twelve weeks and fifteen years later, there's less complicated grief, less depression. That's good. That is good news. So that's horrible. But now we've moved to saying, well, how can we make it more accessible? And just and what what are
0: the what are the potential issues for children that you're trying to tackle in that in those twelve weeks and, and hopefully have this, this lasting impact? What are the specific things we're worried about?
1: Exactly. Well, we work now we're working primarily with the parents and caregivers. We also have a component to work with directly with kids. But let me focus on the parents and caregivers, because that's I okay. think most of your audience. We've kind of encapsulated this in what we call the five building blocks of resilient parenting. And because that's a nice m- image of building. That's why I, I like your term, rebuilding, because that's what you're doing. You're rebuilding the family. And the five building blocks that we talk about are you start with if the foundation is self-care, because that's so important, of taking care of yourself, being gentle to yourself, being kind to yourself. And then we build on that with developing stronger relationships with your children and developing good active listening, Mm -hmm. which is so important. So often we talk about what do I tell my children? In right. this situation and that situation. You don't hear people talk as much about, how do I listen to my children? And we build on that with effective rules because a healthy family cannot function without effective rules. And bereaved parents and bereaved children can have difficulties with that because about, of the mixed feelings and of whether I can really impose rules when yeah. my child is suffering.
0: Right. She's kind of, it kind of
1: rough. Let's give her a break. Have a, let's give her a break. And it's not really giving her a break, frankly. <laughs> no. That's what it feels like. But so we do, we help parents with that. And we, we look at it as we give them tools that the parents use. And the capstone, the capstone is promoting children's effective coping with all the changes, all the stresses that they're going through. And having parents be a resource to promote children, healthy coping. The key is the relationship of the program to the parents is that this has to work. It only, this only works if it's a tool, if we're providing tools that parents can use in their life. This isn't tip sheets on whether you should do this or do that. They're just practical ways of how do you do this? How do I practice this? Now, how do I go home and do it with my kids? And how do I make that work for me? Yeah.
0: So, how can I ask, how uh, did you guys discover shoot. the five when you came up with five things? That was probably a process. What was what was the process by which you guys came up with these five building blocks?
1: Well, it's really not complicated. All of this is not complicated to say, it's just complicated to do. <laughs> We've been doing parenting programs for a lot of different populations. The other big project that I've been involved in for 30 years is parenting after divorce, okay. which is also challenging and complicated, but quite different. And if you look, and it's a very nice story to be told there actually, a pretty amazing story that we're actually pretty good at promoting effective parenting for a wide range of populations. For everything from foster parents to parents of newborns to parents in poverty, parents in all sorts of situations, our particular focus has been divorce and bereavement. If you look at these programs carefully, go beyond kind of reading about them, but just actually get the manual and see what they actually do. They do pretty much the same thing. They really sort of, we sort of know what parents what help parents need. Okay. So the five building blocks was just our way of saying, well, how do we communicate this? So we we're, we're not we're not making anything new up. We're just sort of consolidating what's already out there. And the five building blocks is just a nice way of communicating it to parents, to the public and actually to keep us on track to ourselves. Yeah. And actually it borrows the the metaphor that you developed of building of rebuilding. So we-
0: you said something in in an interview I I think I watched on YouTube that where you said that the idea that the that the parent is in control sort of of the of the kid's outcomes here in a in a tough situation is really an inspiring thought because it means that it can be intimidating but it also means that you have power in this tough situation to create different outcomes and that I love that idea that's what. That's what I hoped and prayed was my role. And that I really did have the power to create a situation where my kids could thrive despite this tough thing that we were going through. And that, I think that's a message that so many parents, especially coming out of a tough year for many people need to hear that you, you are the, you're sort of the North star here and you can make that difference.
1: It's a little scary. (laughs) True. It's a little scary. And I I think depending on the parent that can go both ways. It's wonderful that some parents can take it as you do, and as Cheryl Sandberg did, in option B, as you yeah, know, I can do this. Empowering. Some parents can take it as, oh my God, it's all on me. Yeah. I can't do. I can't do this. It's too hard. We take sort of a middle ground that we start with wherever the parents at, and for all parents, this is, is a in this part of self care that I feel very strongly about is. To be gentle with yourself, and mm-hmm. you, what you're taking on is really hard. It's more than most. Well, parenting in and of itself is is, is not simple <laughs> under any circumstances. But be gentle with yourself. And We phrase it in the program: be kind to yourself. So that, and what that means is that there's going to be ups and downs. You're going to do things that you regret doing. Or say things that, oh, I should have said it differently. And oh my God, my my kid is crying because I, mm, should I really impose that rule on them?
0: There's a very famous incident in my house where I got frustrated and popped my three-year-old's balloon. And I'm pretty sure (laughs) she's going to talk about that in therapy one day. But I said (laughs) I was going to pop the balloon if she kept doing the thing. And I popped that balloon. So Right,
1: right. And, and, (laughs) and. Popping the balloon is another very good mef- metaphor because <laughs> even though with you it's physically real, because that's okay. You're, you're. First of all, you need to be able to say to yourself, "That's okay. I'm doing the best I can," yeah. and look at what you're doing and saying. Okay, I didn't, it didn't go so well that time. Without sort of getting in a downward spiral about how horrible you are and how incompetent you are and how you can't do this, saying, "All right, that didn't go the way I wanted. What well, might I have done differently? Right. And next time I'll try it a little differently." The, the sweet thing, the really sweet thing, is that children want to be nurtured. Children, although your your daughter may may bring you into therapy in twenty years, <laughs> I'm sure she'll also say, "Wow." You know, my, my mom did all this, this stuff and she was grieving. That's pretty special. Yeah, that's, uh, that's
0: certainly certainly what I hope. But yeah, that I, I remember in the early days, I would just tell myself, in the very early days, I would say, I'm just going to get up and give her breakfast, possibly go outside, and I'm going to eat some food. That was all I did in a day. That's uh, a good day. Yeah, that was a very, very good day. And then, and then as time went on, I could put together a couple hours per day of maybe a little decent parenting in there.
1: Right. One thing I like that we do in our resilient parenting program that I guess most other programs don't do. I said everybody does the same thing. But one thing we did that I really like, and I think we probably got it from the parents. We developed a program collaboratively with bereaved parents. Right. Is personal goals and small steps. We start every group with... What do you want to get out of this? How do you want things to be different after coming, now it's a 10-week program, coming to this program for 10 weeks? And, and what's one small step you could take before we meet again towards that goal? You know, and sometimes the goals are grief-related, grief-related, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just personal-related. And, but there's the wisdom of the parent. We believe in the parent. Yeah. that you know yourself best. You know, I should say, and I, I, I meant to say this in the beginning, developing our program didn't come out of my head. It didn't come out of my collaborators' heads. It came out of a, a collaborative effort. First of all, we were funded by the New York Life Foundation for this work, which I gratefully acknowledge. Yeah. They're the major funder, actually, of bereavement work in this country these days. There's not a lot of foundations that do that work. But we also developed close relationships with four child bereavement agencies around the country. Good Grief in New Jersey, Uplift in Oakland, New Song Center in Phoenix, and a missing one. Oh, no, it's it's Uplift in Philadelphia, gotcha. and it's EBAC in, in Oakland, California. And parents in these, who were seeking, receiving service in these agencies, reviewed everything we were doing and talk to us about what's missing and how we how this would come across to brief parents so it's really and i think this is key it's a you have to trust the wisdom of people's lived experience
0: and it will in your personal experience as a researcher what led you to research this in particular
1: that's a great question unlike some people i don't come from a background where i experienced the death of a parent while i was a child but i've always had For my whole career, I've had an interest in the concept that's come to be called resilience. I was interested in it before it was called resilience. (laughs) I started out working in the inner city and I was interested in how do you do well in, you know, living in a housing project and you know, without a lot of resources, and and then I I just kind of generalized it out to what are the different stressors or challenging situations that families face. And bereavement was one of them. But we also worked with children with medical illnesses, children of alcoholics, children of divorce. And I sort of fell in love with working with bereaved families, even though I don't have that personal experience. But the people in this field are heroes. They're really dedicated. You know, bereavement is, if I can use the term, an orphan in our society. Something yeah. no pe- people really don't want to talk about. People feel like it's contagious.
0: I tell people all the time, it's, I especially when, when people contact me who are going through something and I say, okay, well, there's going to be some people who are a little bit scared off because you are a signal that they are mortal also. And exactly. it makes people uncomfortable. And then there Very are going right. to be some people who can push through that.
1: Exactly. And the people that work in this field are great, you yeah. know, because... They're sharing people's pain because grief is real and grief is painful. Look who I'm talking to, you know, that more than me. Yeah,
0: but it, ta- it takes a special kind of person to, it's a special to kind of be person feeling that often. Yeah.
1: And early on when I didn't know a lot about grief and bereavement, we were, I was mentored by some very wonderful people who were dedicated to working in this area. And i I still fondly remember you know sitting with them and saying okay what well, would this work here and there and right. and frankly getting mentored by them so I I very much appreciate it so uh, I love working in this in this area but I came in because of a more general interest in why do some people do well and how can we help them do well and what do I have to contribute what do I know I know a lot about psychology and social science and parenting programs but How does that contribute to to that lived experience?
0: Well, we talked about the first building block. I want to get a little bit deeper on the second one, stronger relationships with your kids. I I believe this is the one where you, in one of the interviews, you recommended maybe a new ritual with your family, which I kind Uh, of realized I did by accident because I did want a new chapter in our lives. And so we got the Christmas tree on my second daughter's birthday. uh, And that's our new thing because this was our... The new vision of our family
1: right and i love that the way you frame it the vision of your family you're constructing your family your new family yeah you know, what we do again everything we do is simple and i think that's in part the key what we do on building stronger yeah. relationships with your children is really structured activities that create positive experiences in the family now people think of bereaved families as sad but you know something they're not really. They're not always sad. <laughs> sadness comes and goes. And in between the sadness, there can be a lot of laughter. There can yeah. be a lot of bonding. So we created some very simple activities. One we call family time. And family time is just a structured activity that everybody commits to in the family. Once a week, to do something together as a family. Just us. not. Not your friends at school, not Uncle Joe. Right. Just us that are living together. And the kids choose it. All right. And it's something everybody can agree on, and it can't be expensive. And only takes about an hour or two, but something in the family. And okay. they go through the problem solving, also is how do we pick something that the different kids all agree on? That's a process. And The key is that it's a routine, that we commit to doing it every week. Okay. Now, an hour or so, or two hours, bigger commitment, but then we have a smaller commitment, what we call one-on-one time. And that's just 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes that you spend with your child, with each child in your family, and you just do what the child wants to do. And you call it one-on-one time. You schedule it. So the kids, the child knows they can count on it. And for younger kids, it might look like very different. It might look like drawing or playing a simple game. For older kids, it might be taking a walk together. Or if it's depending on their interests, it might be shooting hoops together. And the key again, kids can count on it. It's routine. And it's just you and them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and your role is just to be into them, if you will, just to follow where they take you. The third, and this is the simplest of all, you notice how they're getting from a bigger commitment to a smaller, and this is okay. the easiest, smallest commitment, and that's what we call catch them doing good. Okay, And that is just when you see they do something, you appreciate, you say, hey, good job. I really like the way you... Clear the table tonight. That's a big help. Or, wow, finish your homework early. Super. You know, I really like the way you did that. So that sounds simple. How, how yeah. simple could that be? As one of our parents said, though, know, said, gee, I noticed that I was always catching him doing bad. Right.
0: <laughs> a common issue. Yes. <laughs>
1: a common issue. And when I focus on catching him doing good, it made a difference. So all of these things come together to create or strengthen, because I don't want to say we create because, you know, maybe a positive relationship from the very beginning, but they strengthen the positive, affective relationship between parent and child, which is great.
0: And what do you say when a parent comes to you and says, dr. Saylor, and I'm, I'm just tired? I'm too um because grief is tiring. And I'm too tired. I can't fit all that in.
1: I say, I, I, I love it. <laughs> because we start out, we, we, when we teach our, we call them skills. The parents have called them tools. Yeah. So I, I'll call them tools. When we teach our tools, each of these tools, we say exactly what you said. We said, think before you try this, think about what might make it challenging. What might make it difficult to do? and we give them a little checklist or anything they want. And one of the things on there is I'm too busy. I'm too tired. We can't fit it in. And we go through a problem-solving activity with them. Say, oh, yeah. But first of all, you normalize it because we know that anything new is going to be challenging because – that's just the way the life is. You're used to doing things one way and you're adding a new thing. It's going to be you have to figure out how to make it work until until it's integrated. So we say, oh yeah, lots of parents find it find that they're really tired. Grief is really tiring. and it's it's hard to to get mobilized. Here's what other parents have done when they felt that way. Will any of these things work for you? And then they check off what will work for them. And if none of those say, well, oh, what, what else do you think might work for you? You make it up. Then we send them an email, actually, with, with their plan. So we anticipate and we normalize that it may be challenging to do this. We expect it will be challenging to do this. <laughs> and But then we help them create their own plan on how they're going to deal with it.
0: Well, then I would imagine, and in, in my own life, that if you if you are able to do some of those things, the it's a positive cycle where you Absolutely. have more energy because things are more positive, Absolutely. and you have more connection with your kids.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the nice and actually surprising findings from our our research, and I hate to refer to this always as research because it's it is because you yeah, need but it's, to, a, it's also nice for to...
0: people to know that it's really grounded in in. Real numbers and results.
1: Yeah. One of the really gratifying things, which was frankly surprising because we originally constructed the program for the health and well-being of bereaved children, is that the benefits are as strong for the parent as they are for the children. Six years later, parents reported a decrease in depression and a decrease in what's come to be called prolonged grief disorder which is a a popular concept now in the the mental health literature. What Uh, is the
0: brief explanation or description of that disorder?
1: Well, it's basically says that grief is a normal process for most people. It's very intense. And over a relatively brief period of time, three to six months, it eases. And... It no longer as much impairs your life. It doesn't go away. Grief is a life this is a lifelong process. Right. It changes in color over time, and at some point, you know, kind of the sweet memories come back, so it's it's less painful. But for some people, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. For some people, the pain, the preoccupation, the anger the sense of yearning continues for years. Gotcha. And yearning in a sense that it's painful and it's debilitating. Yeah. And that tends to be somewhere, the estimates vary, but it's somewhere around 10% of mm-hmm. uh, bereaved adults. So it's it's come to be, and, and now there are treatments for it. Our program, in fact, reduce the rate of prolonged grief disorder over six years from 11 percent in our comparison group to zero in our wow. in people that went through our program so as well as decreased level of depression and actually substance use alcoholism so and the other cool thing that I really love is the more parents describe the positive, Parenting the less they were depressed. Huh. So and and you know, as a parent, and I am a proud parent myself, and, and I know what that's about. There's a saying, you know, that I've always liked. As a parent is only as happy as their least happy child, <laughs> <laughs> there's a it's reinforcing. We love being a good parent. We love to reinforce when we get from hanging with our kids when, when things are going well. So it makes total sense to me.
0: I was always very thankful that not I mean it's it seemed counterintuitive at the time, but I was actually thankful that I was both had a child and was pregnant because it really the guardrails were real close on me at that time because one one kid had to be raised and one kid had to be birthed. So <laughs> there was there was just a certain amount of stuff that had to be done and I had to keep myself as safe as possible during that time. That's and pretty it,
1: amazing, Mary Catherine. That's just what you did is pretty amazing.
0: It was it was a whole thing, and it's I still I still sometimes, and I, I'm sure you have experience with people. I, I still sometimes look back and think, "Gosh, that seems like a a move." What happened? <laughs> even though it happened to me, oh, yeah. it still reads as so surreal. Even yeah. having been through it, so oh, I, mean, yeah. I know folks who are in the thick of it. I know yeah. that feeling. So the next one is active listening, which, frankly, I probably didn't do enough of with my toddler, but. <laughs> Let's talk about that one.
1: Well, active listening, I love because we can all relate to it. We all know as adults or as students or as workers or as co-workers or as friends, we just know when somebody's a good listener. We know the effect on us. We know how warm it feels and how valued it feels. Well, the same thing goes to parents being active listening to their children. And parents aren't always taught that that's their role. Parents are more often taught that my role is to tell them what they ought to do, not not to listen to them. Now, the two actually are not incompatible. You can be a good listener and a good director. But the nice thing, and again, the encouraging thing about active listening, is that it's a skill. We know how to teach it. We know the elements of it. So what we do, we actually spend three of our ten sessions on active listening. Oh, you wow. believe it. So yeah, it's really a big deal. Because it starts with paying attention. <laughs> 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 well, we, well we can uh
0: <laughs> easier said than done sometimes.
1: I know. Well we even have a fix for that. What we call big ears is you put things you know, there's a difference when the kids comes in and maybe looks grumpy or the uh, school sucks, you know, and being on your computer or more often your phone. Phone, yeah. Or would you say something sucks, you know, to, to putting it aside, sitting down, leaning forward, looking them in the eye, which you could do even over Zoom, but in person it's a lot more powerful, and saying, Wow, tell me about it. What happened? So, just your physical presence gives the message that I had big ears, I yeah. want to listen. And we also do a little self talk that something, something's up with my son, my daughter. How do I get them to tell me about it? And then we teach, you know, just basic active listening skills like open ended questions. What we call say more so good continuers, you know, tell me more, Uh uh-huh, your nonverbals. Wow, that sounds like something. And and then we teach responses. So after a child, you got your child to talk, how do you respond? So one way many parents are taught to respond is to fix the problem. Right. Oh, your teacher's picking on you. Well, this is what you should do. Or at the worst case, there must be a reason they're picking on you. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? Yeah. What did you do this time? <laughs> None of those. We don't teach those. <laughs> but we teach inhibition of that. Stop yourself from doing the quick fix. We call it the quick fix. And listen and reframe. Susan, what am I hearing? Tell you Susan, what am I hearing? And then feed it back to your child oh, sounds like you had a really rough day in school. Sounds like your teacher yelled at you when you felt like you weren't doing anything. Is that right? Did I get that right? The child's always the expert on their own experience. Right. And so you're tracking with the child on, you know, did I hear you right? Am I understanding? And then we have feeling responses, which sounds like that right? sounds like that makes you a little angry. Right. Is that right? It's always, is that right? Because the kid may say, no, no, I'm just sad. Why is everybody always picking on me? You know, so and that's basically what we teach.
0: Yeah, and I think we, Go ahead. I think it's such a nice thought because I think too often, yes, as a parent, your your job is to input. I'm inputting instead of getting something from the child. And I often ask people, or I often think about, and in my position, my child was two, so I didn't have to do a lot of explaining to her. And there was very little she could communicate to me, but we spent good time together. But I always think about like, well, how, how do you talk to children about this? But your point is great that often what they need to do is talk to you.
1: Right, right. Well, how do you get them to talk to you? How do you encourage them yeah. to and have them walk away saying, "Mom my dad gets it. And we actually, in our research, we actually have a scale, which we call sharing, which is the children's perception that my parent understands what I'm going through.
0: Do you find that the the, the advice works for all different ages
1: yeah, of pretty much. pretty much. I think we actually test for that. Mm-hmm. And it's different for the older kids and for younger kids. And sometimes where we get a difference is a little bit stronger effect for the younger children. Okay. But, heck, you know, I love to be listened to. <laughs> yeah. So that just doesn't go away. <laughs> and no. and you think about adolescence, for example. You know, the stereotype of adolescence is don't talk to me, close the door, you know, no parents allowed. And there's some truth in that because one of the things... We know one of the tasks, one of the healthy tasks of adolescence is creating an independent sense self of autonomy, of identity, and that ain't easy, but that's a normal task of adolescence. So that's one of the things they're doing when they close the door, You're right. saying, I got to figure this out, but that doesn't mean they don't want to open the door and have you care And have you listen. Yeah. If they're ready to talk. Right. And sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But knowing that you're there and that you're not doing a quick fix, you're not saying, Oh, I understand. I was a kid too. And when I was a kid, this is what we did, you know. But just said, you know, hey, what's going on? Yeah.
0: Up next we have this might be a tell, but it's my personal favorite, which is effective rules. (laughs) <laughs> because i do I, I love this one because it well it validates my own my own experience but i i knew i could feel this as a pitfall in our lives i knew that there was a tendency especially when my daughter was two i was having a new baby so everyone who came in the house had presents and candy like it would it was nonstop <laughs> for a long period of time which is a testament to how much people cared for yeah. us wonderful but you do get a situation where you got a three-year-old who's like, every time someone comes to the door, I get stuff, right? That's how that works. <laughs> exactly. so I just I start thinking about, okay, what does this actually look like moving forward? Because right. I can't just feel guilty about her life and let her do whatever she wants to
1: as a result. Right. No favor to her. Yeah. Well, and it's just what just, it, effective rules, again, is not rocket science. It's it's just what it sounds like. Both words, effective and rules. Rules are basically your expectation. Your expectations are what you expect of your child for this household to run well, the way I expect it to. Because I expect this is going to be a great household, both for you and for me. And which means everybody sort of does their part. And the child has things that are expected of them. You have things that are expected of you. And as their parent, who does have a responsibility, a felt responsibility, to rear them. So you have expectations of what they're going to do for themselves. Right. Like their homework, for example. So we start there really with a parent's expectations of their child and misbehaviors or things children do that don't meet your expectations, that break kind of the contract you have with them on what this family is about and who does what in this family. Right. And and the parent, you know, everything we do has to be centered on the parent's own goals, their own view of their family. The fact that they're working on it shows that they have, you know, strong feelings about making things go right but we start with their expectations and we start with a reasonable expectation. So you have a different expectations. We have parents look at that, Mm -hmm. you know, and whether I'm communicating that clearly, you know, do they know what I want clearly? Have I said it? And then we talk about consequences and there are, there's a hierarchy of consequences, you know, sometimes for some quotes misbehaviors, the best consequence may be natural consequences. Let the you know, the child doesn't do what, you know, they could they come home late for dinner, or well, they're gonna be hungry, or then they're not gonna get the full dinner that you prepared, or whatever. And it goes up to to giving a you know, taking away a positive or giving a negative. And what it leads to at the end is kind of a contract with the child. If you have, if you're identifying misbehaviors, things that really bother you, that you really want to change, you make a change plan and you explain to your child that, look, this is what you've been doing. It really bothers me. We can't do, you know, it's not acceptable. When you do this, this is what's going to happen. These are the consequences, and you stick to it. Yeah, and the sticking to it is really critical.
0: I was going to say the, the consistency can be a can be a tough ask in those times because there were, of course, I'm sure there were many times when the rules were out the window because I was just done for the day.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. And then you be you need to be kind to yourself, but you need to say, "Okay, I was done for that day. I'm not done yeah. tomorrow."
0: Right. Yeah. There's <laughs> uh, small. T- take off the small chunks and try to.
1: Yeah. Try- you know, it's a it's a simple approach. Again, everything we do is simple. It's not beyond people, and it works. It's effective. You,
0: you said something interesting, which is if I had if I had let her do whatever she wants, I'm doing her no favors. What does that look like if you if you just let them cut loose? Like you're in pain. We're all having a tough time. Do whatever you want to do.
1: Well. It's not the rule. It's, it's Children need rules. Yeah, You are, in fact, the parent. And children who do whatever they want to do, who mm-hmm. believe there are no consequences, don't develop a healthy sense of self, a healthy sense of boundaries, or a healthy sense of how they get along in this world. Yeah. So in that sense, you're your children's teachers because we know from our own lives and just from common sense, that there are things you can, things you can't do. If you don't do your homework, that's a problem. If you break curfew, that's a problem. If you're hanging around with kids who are gonna get you in a lot of trouble, that's a problem. And for a younger child, you know, it starts there, frankly, you know, if you don't go to sleep (laughs) at your bedtime, that's a problem. It's a problem for mom. It's a problem for you. It's
0: going to make all of our days tomorrow harder.
1: <laughs> Much harder.
0: <laughs> that sometimes you, you, it's. I mean, it's a constant struggle as a parent that feeling like the mean parent is often just being the good
1: parent. You know, you don't have to be mean. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things of, of a lack of rules, because nobody has really a lack of rules, is it, it comes out in conflict between the parent and child. It doesn't have to be that way. If you have an effective system and children know what's expected and they know the consequences and the consequences really are enforced and they don't have to be, they don't have to be very negative. They just have to be consistent and they have to be things that the child cares about. But if that happens, the kid is going to shape up. We know that. But if it doesn't happen, if it's, if it's haphazard then you're gonna be bugged by your child. You're gonna have conflict. You're gonna be angry at them. They're gonna be angry at you. And it gets to be a much more conflicted family, not not as happy a place.
0: I would say that consistency is not my most naturally occurring trait. And I, I remarried in March of last year. So <laughs> the week before the pandemic shut everything down. and And I married the most consistent human on the planet. So I can attest that, though I I am proud of my parenting, that the very consistent nature of my partner in parenting now really gets those results you're talking about.
1: Okay, there you go. You got a partner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's whoo, That's a nice change in my life. It really, it really does. It does do wonders. And then, okay, so our our last building block is
1: promoting children's healthy coping. And parents sometimes don't realize that the, everything they do really does contribute to the children's company. First of all, we know from lots of psychology that the, the secure bond children have with their parent, the positive relationship, frees the child up to, to explore more, to be easier on themselves, to be less negative when bad things happen. So just for having that relationship helps promote effective child coping. Listening, active listening. If you're listening to your child and you give your child the, the opportunity to share what's going on, you know, just sharing things that are bothering you with another human being, particularly a parent, but it can be others, helps you look at it. Mm-hmm helps you cope because you can look at it and get some feedback. Maybe it's not all as bad as you you think. Maybe somebody else has experienced this. And if you add on to that, the parents reflecting on your feelings. Mm -hmm. That's like you feel kind of angry. Yeah, I feel angry. Being able to talk about that, you know, there's a difference between saying yeah, that really me. I'm really angry about that it just wasn't fair and acting out because you because you're angry right you can look at your anger and then you can talk about first of all it makes you less angry to just look at it and say oh that's sort of normal and then to say how oh, somebody else understands I'm angry Then what are we going to do well we can talk about that yeah. you know we also teach another skill that that we didn't talk about is guided problem solving okay that's part of our communication skills is you ask the child do you want me just to listen or do you want to help figure out what what to do and they say that's yeah great
0: question for so many relationships i know what is this what we're doing
1: <laughs> yeah that's actually yeah it's a, it's it's helpful in any relationship do you want me just to listen or want me to help think through what what you might do? And then we walk them through, you know, a problem solving, four-step problem solving. In terms of grief, we do the same thing with grief feelings, positive and negative grief feelings. You know, we anticipate reminders of grief, like you're doing with the Christmas tree, you know, but it could come up, you know, at any holiday, birthdays, you know, dad's birthday's coming up. Yeah. As I tell
0: people when they they contact me, I say, the calendar is so rude. It just, everything pops up over and over again.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's nothing wrong with remembering. Matter of fact, it's something we need to do. It's what people have been calling continuing bonds. And, you know, how do you want to remember remember dad on his birthday? Visit the cemetery, play a song that he liked, or not? and have that conversation. And that's a listening conversation. And we actually do that after we teach them listening skills, we go into listening to the child's grief. So it all sort of comes together into making a rebuilding, as you say, rebuilding the family so that it, it really works for your kids, works for you, and it allows you both to, to do well.
0: Yeah. Well, and we talked a little bit about the pretty amazing, and you said maybe not they were side effects, not intentional with results with parents and how that turned out. What are the results with kids from the 15-year study of this?
1: Well, I can tell you what's published, and we also have some very exciting stuff that we're currently working on, which is not yet published. But the effects on children 15 years later that that we have published is reducing, particularly internalizing problems things like depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. uh the stuff we haven't published yet it's also at at, a diagnostic level we reduce the rates of major depression 15 years later reduce use of mental health services and reduce rates of suicidal thoughts so they're pretty major yeah huge they're pretty huge and which is why at this point, again, supported by our sponsor, New York Life Foundation, our focus now is on doing things like we're doing with you. It's sort of, and that's why I really appreciate, you know, being on your podcast is we really want to tell the public about it. And we, really want, we really want to make the program accessible to parents. We, we developed a website, which I sent you the URL, it's bereaveparenting.org. Okay, and on that website we have what we call practical tools, which are each of the things we've been talking about. We put into like a fifteen to thirty minute online program. So you want to learn about listening? Okay, here's a here's the thirty minute version. <laughs> or they could just listen to Mary Catherine's podcast. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, I think I think it's such an an important resource, even. And even applicable beyond brief families, just the idea of resilience and that you can build skills and you can build muscles to move forward. And, you know, we've all had a tough year and I think finding tools for that and especially something that gives you a few simple tips, especially when you're in the depths, is such a valuable thing because you can't handle much, but you can handle a little listening. You can handle a little A little of hanging out with your kid in specific ways.
1: Right. And I really want to pick up on what you said. You're building muscles. That we have a saying in everything we do, which is, well, we have two sayings, but they mean the same thing. When people are doing our program, we say home practice is the program. It's not what you do listening to this. It's what you do with yourself and your family when you're there. So the more you practice, the more you benefit. And the other saying is what you practice grows stronger. And, you know, now you know about how to listen. Now the next step is to listen. And you know something? The first time you listen, it might feel awkward. The first time you listen, it might feel, well, let's take self-kindness, which is very fundamental. The first time you say to yourself, okay, I need to be kind to myself. You may feel Gee, that was phony. That was that was sort of stupid. Why? Why did I say that? <laughs> but then you say, no, it wasn't stupid. No, I do need to be kind to myself. And then the second time you say, say, yeah, I need to be kind to myself. I didn't. It wasn't so bad what I did. You know, I'm only human. All right. The third time you say, yeah, we're doing right. I need to be kind to myself. Yeah. And what I observed in you know when we do the group program, is after about four or five meetings, parents start using the same language. They start saying, you know, I need to be gentle to myself. I I was being too hard on myself there. Mm. And and it comes from practice. Yep. You know, catch him doing good. First time, yeah, well, of course, he was supposed to do that. Second time, you see the kids sort of smile. (laughs) You go, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> you know, and the more you practice these simple skills, and they are not rocket science, they are not beyond people's grasp, including bereaved people. But you start at a very simple level, and you mm-hmm. expect it to be a little, a little rocky in the beginning. The more you practice, the more you make it a routine, the more you enjoy it. Yeah. So,
0: Can I ask, and I'm going to close up in a minute, but I do want to ask what you think after all your years of experience with families who have been really through tough things, we're in sort of definitely an unprecedented time with having coming coming out of this pandemic and sort of emerging a little bit different areas of the country. It's different things, different families. It's different things. Maybe they lost jobs or grandparents or, or even a parent in, in some cases, or. They've just lost their routine and attachment to schools and communities and churches. What do you think about the potential for families to emerge from this season and rebuild in, in, stronger, in strong ways?
1: Well, I'm a strong believer in families and I'm a strong believer in people's competence and strength, but we shouldn't expect it's easy. You know, you lose your routine. So even now, my wife and I are talking, we've just been vaccinated. So oh, we, very good news. That we've been shut down, you know, and now we're thinking, you know, how exactly do we open up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do we recreate the routines that we enjoyed before? And it's going to be a little, it's going to feel funny. It's mm-hmm. going to feel not right, you know? And I think there is that process. Now, people that are, I do worry about people that have lost things structurally, people that have have lost jobs or have lost someone they love. Yeah. There's more things that are going to feel not right. But again, you know, I believe in people. <laughs> and, you know, I, I believe that if people do the kind of thing you were talking about, Mary Catherine, of uh, 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 of saying to themselves, "All right, it's different. This feels funny. It feels strange. I I I feel terrible about you know loss of grandma or whatever. Yeah. But you know I'm going to take it a step at a time, and I am going to believe myself that you know not all at once, but this is what I got to do today, yeah. and." Here's where I want to be in a couple months, but not today. Today, I'm just going to take this, the first step. So, you know, I'm an optimist. You know, yeah. and I think I'm right. Frankly, I think people I think people deserve that kind of belief.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I think if you do that every day, eventually your difficult, sort of weird feeling steps along the way, and that strange feeling life becomes a different rich life
1: exactly exactly it,
0: but it takes some growing into
1: it takes some growing into and you and and the belief in yourself that i can do this
0: well thank you so much i think i think these tools are so useful for people particularly in this season when sure. a people are facing a lot of different kinds of challenges i'm so glad that you study it and have have worked with so many great people to do so so people can go to bereavedparenting.org to get right. some of these tools and we thank you so much for your time dr sandler
1: All right, well, thank you, and I enjoy talking to you.